0: talking over these last several weeks, looking at Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia. We said this is what's called a circular letter. It's a letter that he wrote that was passed around, uh, read at all the different churches. You can imagine the excitement that those churches would have had when they came together and someone said, we have a a letter from Paul. Uh, And they would have sat down together and they would have read it, not just a little bit at a time, but the whole thing. And I do continue to encourage you, read Galatians from beginning to end. It's not very long. That's how you read letters. Um, That's how you read emails. You read the whole thing to get the gist of it all. This is Paul's letter. And in this letter, Paul is contending for the faith. He is contending for the gospel. He is saying that this gospel is so important that any variance from it, it's sort of like we heard Doug talking about with a putt, If you start a putt off just a little bit at the beginning, by the end of that putt, it's going to be way off. You could be off just by a fraction at the beginning of it, but by the end of it, you could be feet off of it. And it's the same way with the understanding of the gospel and the truth of the gospel. It's to know the truth so that we can stay in line with it. Because when we begin to vary from it, even just slightly, even just a little, over the course of time... And over the course of your life, and the course of logic, it actually leads not to salvation, but to damnation. Because Paul says it's a different gospel. Not that there is, it is it's not a gospel. It's, these aren't simple differences of opinion within denominations. He's saying these are so profound that one is truth and one is not truth. You understand that, Right? Paul isn't having a little wrangling between whether you should be Baptist or Presbyterian or Lutheran or charismatic. He's saying it's either Christ only or it's not. You're either saved by Christ or you're not saved at all. It's either by faith in Christ through his completed work or there is no salvation. Because what happens, and Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the great Welsh preacher back in the middle part of the last century in England... He would preach in London during the war and at nights, and he would say this. He said, I don't know if his estimates are true, but at least they get the point across that probably 90% of all people in church have it wrong, that we start with Christ, but then when we begin to explain it, when pressed, we begin to add things on. Well, I know that I have to believe in Jesus, but then I have to be good, I know that it starts with Jesus, but then I've got to keep myself on the right path. I've got to keep trying to be a good Christian. Do you see what's happened there? Very subtly, you start with Christ, and then you add something on. Then you add another thing on. That Jesus will keep loving me if I keep doing right. I've used the example with you before. If you've had, maybe you woke up early. And you had some time in the word and you prayed and you had some time of meditation. You went through some of these things called spiritual disciplines. And then something bad happened that day. How would you react? For many people, we react like this. God, I had a quiet time this morning. God, I've done this. Therefore, you owe me. God, I've been a good person. God, I, I've married a Christian person. I, I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm tithing. You now owe me something. I remember as a young Christian, I had been in banking and I'd left banking. I was going to go into ministry and I it was in between what we were going to be doing. And I was working for a guy and his, he had a specialty. And his specialty was fixing leaking toilets. That's a lovely specialty to have. Because toilets don't just leak on top of the ceramic tile, Right? It sort of goes under. And guess who got to climb under the house? Yeah, that'd be me. And I'm climbing along and I'm flat on my belly, knee and elbow deep into this stuff. And I stopped right there. And I went, God, I don't get this. I quit my job. I'm marrying Lisa. We're going to go into ministry together Why am I belly deep in this stuff? Fill in the blank. And it dawned on me. I was using God. I was basically saying, God, I'll love you if you continue to bless me. That's that subtle shift that we have so often. And Paul is arguing and Paul is teaching and trying to get us to hear it's the gospel alone. It's Christ alone. And we add nothing to it. And what we want to see from that as we begin to grasp the gospel, that gospel which is Jesus Christ only, by faith through grace alone, in Christ's work alone, that we're saved. It's in that and that alone that all of our lives are shaped. And that's what compels us. That's what moves us out to then obey the law and to do these things. We're called to be free. We don't have to be afraid of anything else. We have God's love in its fullness. You may have heard it said, God cannot love you more than he does now and he will never love you less. Do you believe that? You have the absolute fullness of God's love right now. Do you feel that? A few of you? Most of us don't. Most of us think that God's withholding something or somehow God is loving us less. The reality is this, he loves you fully right now. Now, we could just say that over and over today, and that would be good enough for a sermon. God loves you in Christ, and that's sufficient for you. Does he love you any less when you mess up? Parents, do you love your children less when they mess up? No. They're still your kids. We love them, not because of what they do, but because of who they are We love them because of whose they are. They're ours. They're our kids. And we bask in them. We rejoice in them in that way. God similarly basks and enjoys you that way. You do know that. God enjoys you. He enjoys your company. He's glad you're here today because he gets to engage with you in that. And now Paul is coming and he's been talking and saying, Folks, what we want to see here in your life is not behavioral modification. We don't want your actions just changed on the outside. We want spiritual transformation. We want you changed from the inside out. Behavioral modification is easy. We can force our children to obey, can't we? We can force people to obey. The laws on the street can be enforced 35 miles an hour. It can be enforced. And they can force you to drive 35 miles an hour. But can they change the heart that wants to drive 45? No. Laws don't change. Laws compress. What has to happen is from the inside out. A change of a desire to obey. A desire to want to follow God's law. A desire to do that. That's what Paul's talking about. Last week we saw that it's through the gospel and that love and the generosity that God's given us that we then become generous people. And we said if you aren't a generous person, if you're holding on too tightly or you're looking down on other people and saying just get a job or you got yourself in this mess, I'm not going to help you. No. If you're that way, how do you fix it? You look at the cross. It's very simple. That's going to be the basic conclusion of every sermon. So if you want to go ahead and write down the conclusion of every sermon that I'm going to preach to you over the course of time, it's going to come down to this. Turn and look at Jesus more. Turn and look at the beauty of the cross more. And it changes your heart. If you're looking down your nose at other people, look at the cross and realize you have no position to do that. If you're if you're concerned about things, and that's what Peter is running into this week, we're going to look at a very interesting little uh, engagement between Paul, the great apostle Paul, and Peter, the rock, the great apostle Peter. They have a conflict, a public conflict, right in front of the church in in uh, Antioch, uh, Paul's hometown, and they're there, and this thing happens. Let's look at it together, and then we're going to unpack it. This is God's word. It's looking at Galatians chapter 2, looking at verses 11 through 14. But when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and, do, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is God's word. May he add his blessing to the reading and hearing of it. Wow. Would you be uncomfortable in that situation? You're having a church picnic. You're hanging out you got some big wigs with you. Paul over here. Barnabas, the encourager who's been with Paul for all these years. You've got Peter who's come over from Jerusalem. He's hanging out. They're having a good time. They're all eating. They're intermingling around the tables. And then some other fellows from Jerusalem show up. And he says they're of the circumcision party. They're of this party that basically said this, a part of the church that Paul really had nothing good to say about. Paul said, these were men who were coming and adding law onto the grace of God. They said, it had to be Jesus plus your obedience. It had to be Jesus plus obeying the dietary laws of Judaism, plus obeying the covenant laws of circumcision, plus doing this, plus doing this. It was Jesus plus. And Paul said, it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus alone. Later, he says of these men, and he said it earlier, he says, these men, they should be anathema. They should be cast into the pit of hell because that's where they're leading people. And then to throw on just a little bit more, he said not only should they be cast into hell, these men should be emasculated and then cast into hell. That's how serious Paul was about this. He says it wasn't just some little discrepancy uh, over a little bit of things in church. It was at the heart and the foundation of the gospel message. He went all the way to Jerusalem to double check and make sure that he was in good standing and that they were agreeing upon the right things. And when he left, everyone was in agreement. And so to set the scene, think about it this way. Don't read the Bible just critically. Don't read it as a textbook. See the pictures of it. You've heard the old illustrations. If I say elephant, think of an elephant, what do you see? You see an elephant, right? You don't see the word elephant spelled out, do you? If that was me, I'd have to think about it. E-L-E. I just see an elephant. Picture this. They're gathered together. They're all there. And then this group of people come from Jerusalem, and they're sitting at another table. They're sitting at another picnic blanket, and they're all there, and they're eating kosher food. They're eating only the food that was prescribed in the Old Testament law. And they began to comment about Peter. Look at Peter. I thought he called himself an apostle. I thought he was a good Jew. How is it that Peter, being a Jew, is sitting over there eating with these pagan Gentiles? He's having barbecue. Oh, my. What's Peter doing? Doesn't he know that he can't eat pig? He can't do that. Pork is wrong. Peter. And they began to talk. Peter, what are you doing? And here's Peter. Good old Peter. You know Peter, the fire-ready-aim kind of guy. He was there, and he was with the Gentiles, and he was loving on them, and he was going, this is awesome, the freedom that we have in Christ. Remember who Peter was? Peter was the one who was walking along, and then all of a sudden, he was on the roof of the house, and this cosmic picnic blanket came down, and on it, it was all the food, and God said to him, Peter, eat. Peter said, but I'm a good Jew. I've never eaten this food. This has been, uh, this, I, I'm, not, I'm not allowed to. And Christ said to him, Peter... It's not what enters into the mouth of a man that defiles the man, but that which proceeds from his heart. Eat. It's not about the food. Eat it. And all of a sudden Peter began to eat and was freed in that to be able to do it. Now, he didn't have to use his liberty. When he was around Jewish Christians, I'm sure he was very sensitive to them. To say that sometimes they couldn't get over those things and so he was sensitive. But when he was with Gentile Christians, he wouldn't have forced them or compelled. Interesting use of a word compelled, same word that was used in the last section, ties this right back in to those things in Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, Peter stood up from the table with the pagan Gentiles, Christians. They're no longer pagans, they're Christian brothers and sisters. And he stood up, and he walked over here, and he was hanging out with this crowd. What do you think that crowd felt like? Why isn't he with us anymore? What did we do? Are we second-hand Christians? I mean, Peter, the apostle who was with Jesus, must think that we should be following the kosher laws. And he's moved over there. Oh. It had such a large influence. Who did it carry away? Paul's right-hand man, Barnabas. You've heard of Barnabas, the encourager, the one who loved. It was just this gentle, loving spirit. Barnabas was so caught up with Peter and his example and his influence... That Barnabas moved over there. So now guess who you've got sitting over here? You've got Peter, a bunch of people and envoys from the church in Jerusalem, and now Barnabas has moved over. What do you think these new Gentile Christians would have been thinking? Do you think it would have been conflict? Do you think there would have been second guessing? I, I know me. If I'm sitting over here at this table, I would have thought something like this. Who do they think they are? They think they're better than us? No, they're not better than us at all, is the reality of it. Or maybe in our insecure moments, we would have been going, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I've got to do this too. Maybe they're right and Paul's wrong. Paul saw this happening. He saw it playing out in front of them. And parents, you, you recognize this. Spouses, you recognize this. Coaches, you recognize this. Just in life, you recognize this. There are certain situations in life which you can negotiate quietly and privately, and there's other ones that need to be dealt with straight on and in a public manner, right? This was one of those. Do you deal with everyone in a public manner? Absolutely not. Greatest basketball coach of all times, Dean Smith, said this. Just wanted to make sure you got that. Um, From the greatest university of all time. Dean Smith said this, If you make every battle in life, life and death, there will be a whole lot of dying. Now, some people take that statement and say, Therefore, I won't make any battles, life and death. I'm not willing to take that hill. I'm not willing to fall on that sword. Paul said, This one, I'm willing to fall on my sword. I'm willing to stand up for this battle because it's a battle of life and death. It's a battle for the gospel itself. Do you see what's going on here? He is fighting for this battle. He is fighting this battle, I mean, for the truth of the gospel. And he's saying, folks, here's the question I have for you today. We haven't even gotten to my outline yet, sorry. But uh, for you your visitors, you're like, holy crud, really? (laughs) Here's the question I have for you today. Do you know the gospel well enough? Are you passionate enough about the truth of the gospel and confident enough in the truth of the gospel to know what battles to fight? Or would you have just sat by and watched this whole thing go on and said, oh, that's a shame. Peter really shouldn't have done that. He hurt their feelings. Wow, that's kind of isolating. Oh, well. Or would you have, like Paul, stood up and said, this is wrong. This is wrong and we have to make it right. Right. Paul said this is wrong. And here's why Paul said it's wrong. And this is going to be quick three points as we come to the table. Because this table is representative of the truth of the gospel. This table says it's Christ alone, nothing else. That's what we come and celebrate today. Paul said first this. He said this gospel is truth with a capital T that influences all of our life. Because there in verse 14 it says this. When I noticed that Cephas was acting in a manner outside or out of step with the gospel. What does that imply? It says there is a lifestyle, there is a manner of life that is in step with the gospel. Therefore, the gospel is a straight line. The gospel is a truth by which every other part of our life is critiqued. The gospel influences not just your salvation, it influences the entirety of your life. Every bit of it, it has something to say about your life. And therefore, we can begin to look and to see, are we in line with the gospel? Are we in line with Christ on this one? Are we following this orthodox gospel? Well, the only way to do that is to know the gospel, isn't it? How are you going to know on a baseball diamond whether you're running straight to first base? You know what they've done on baseball diamonds to make it really easy for you? They've painted a line. And if I'm running to first base and I head left... Am I heading to the right place? Half of you are going, I don't watch baseball, Bill. So the answer would be no. You're supposed to run towards first, on the line. And if I get out of line with it, I recognize it. Why? How do I know I'm out of line? Because there's a line. I said This is rudimentary, and I don't mean to belittle you or make fun of it. But the fact of the matter is there's a line. How did Paul know Peter was out of line? He knew the line. He knew the truth. He knew the trajectory of a life given to the gospel never would have moved from that table to that table. He knew that that kind of social and racial hatred would never have done that. What was Peter really saying? Who did Peter go hang out with? Jews. He discriminated against the Gentiles. Jewish men used to pray a prayer, God, I am so thankful that I am neither a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. Quite a prayer. The gospel comes in and says, be careful of making any of those distinctions. It was saying this, there's no room for racism, even a little bit of racism. There's no room for separation and pride from anybody else, none at all, because the gospel says this, we are all equal under God. There are economies within the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God the Son is in a secondary place, but he's equal with the Father in fullness of truth and in stature and all of those things. It's the same way in a marriage. My wife and I are equal before God. We have different economies within the marriage relationship, different roles within that. Does it make my wife lesser than me? Absolutely not. She is greater than me in so many ways. But in our roles, we are differentiated. But I can't look down on her because of her different role. That's what Paul was saying. This gospel orients your life. So the question is then... Do you know it well enough. And what do you do when you see yourself or someone else getting out of line with the gospel? Here's what a good southerner says. Oh, I'll pick on Zach. He's sitting up front. Dangerous sitting up front. So, oh, Zach, he's really messing up. Bless his little soul. You can say anything about anybody in the south as long as you tagline it bless his little heart. Bless her sweet little heart. Wow. She's doing this. She believes this. She's acting this way. Oh, that teenage boy, he's out there getting drunk and doing this. I was at a concert with my son the other week, and there was a young man. Uh, there are 20,000 people at this place that we're seeing this concert. And this poor young guy's pastor walks up behind him and stands. And he turned around, and he's about 19. It's not the legal drinking age. He'd been drinking and holding the drink. He turned around, hey, Reverend McCutcheon. Like, hey, how are you? He goes, I'm fine. He's like, yep. I said, what are you doing? He said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I said, what are you doing? He said, well, this is my last one. (laughs) I was like, okay. And I've known this young man for six years. I said, what are you doing? He said, oh, don't guilt trip me, Mr. McCutcheon. I said, I'm not guilt tripping you. I'm loving you. You've said for all these years how much you love Jesus. And now you're living in a way that is out of accord with that profession. Do you see? I'm not condemning him. I'm simply saying, hey... If you say you love Jesus and you're out there underage drinking and getting drunk and having sex with your girlfriend. Hey, you're, you're saying you love Jesus but you're cheating on your income taxes. Hey, you say you love Jesus and you want to follow Jesus but you're doing this and you're doing this. I'm not condemning you. I'm pointing you back to the meridian. I'm pointing you back to the equator. I'm pointing you back to the line by which you can judge that. That's why I love to look on Facebook with people. Religious beliefs. I love Jesus. And then you read their posts. (laughs) I'm sorry. Really? And I'll send them a note. So you might not want to friend me. Um, I'll send them a note that says something like this. Hey, help me understand. You say over here that you love Jesus. And I'm excited that you love Jesus. And I'm not questioning your love for Jesus. I, that's awesome. But help me understand how this love for Jesus and this post or this picture or you liking this picture or you doing this thing lines up with that. Can you help me understand that? Am I condemning you at that moment? I'm inquiring, And I'm saying, help me understand this. I'm bringing you back to a line. And saying the gospel is a truth that transcends life. And the gospel is that truth which leads our lives, folks, as a church. Guess what we're compelled to follow? The gospel. That's what we follow. And we want to live our lives in accord with the gospel. That's our goal and that's our aim. Are we going to be able to do it perfectly? Absolutely not. The next point is this. We're all susceptible to stepping out of line. Because guess who stepped out of line? Peter? Barnabas? And some other people as well. So if Peter, the rock that Jesus said, I'm going to pun you and your confession, upon you, I'm going to build my church. If Peter was able to be persuaded and move out of line, Barnabas, one of the most gentle, compassionate, encouraging Christian brothers of all time, was able to be swayed out of line. Guess who else can be swayed out of line? They're sitting in your seat. And he's standing in front of you. The power of reigning sin, the power of influence, the power of culture, the power of evil in the world can sway all of us to step out of line. It should, it should chill us a little bit and it should take away that pride. Because a prideful person would say to Peter and to Barnabas, how could they do that? How dare they? And they call themselves good Christian men. <laughs> and they come to church, I know what they do. I saw them mess up. It humbles us to first examine our own hearts and to ask this question. Where have I veered from the line? And where you find yourself veering from the line is the place where we come and we have confession. Lord, boy, hear my thoughts. I promise you this. Yesterday at 4 o'clock, when I'd been out of my house since 1.30... And I'd been cleaning my house prior to that. And I knew I had to get on the road. And I had to get down here. And now I've got to drive back today. And I've got to repack my house. And load it back up and come back tomorrow. I wasn't thinking really positive thoughts about that family that was coming. And didn't show up. And the scripture says, if you hate in your mind, you've committed murder. And so I realized that my thought life was out of line with the gospel. I realized that my language in front of my sons was out of line with the gospel of saying, what kind of people wouldn't show up? So what do we do at that point? We come back in line. And we say, thank God for this gospel which forgives me when I veer off path. Thank God for this gospel which reminds me that Jesus leads me back to this. It's the gospel that leads us back. It's the gospel that encourages us in those ways. Now, there are times when you need to confront somebody on these things. I remember sitting in a Bible study and a woman said, Paul was absolutely wrong for doing it this way. She was absolutely convinced of this. She said, Paul was wrong. Nowhere in this scripture does it say that Paul was wrong. At this moment, Paul had to confront Now, in Matthew 18, it says that if something happens, you should go and do it privately with your brother. Discretion. When and how you do it is discretion. Paul was saying, if this goes through, it torpedoes the entire gospel. I have to do it publicly. I have to say this here. And so today, what I want you to see is this. What's a life... That's given over to walking in line with the gospel. Well, you can only look and know that if you begin to study the gospel. To know what it is. And what the gospel and the freedom of the gospel does is it leads us then to obey the law. Again, make sure you get the sequence right. Jesus died for you. You've been forgiven in him. Now you obey the law. You get it? Do we throw out the law and say we have nothing to do with the law? Absolutely not. Does it mean now that I have Jesus I can go out and drink and get drunk and have sex with anybody I want to have sex with? Absolutely not. Well, I'm free in Christ. Isn't he going to forgive me anyway? Paul said, oh, don't think that way. May it never be that you would want to sin more, that grace could abound. If you really understand the truth and the reality of the gospel, you'll want to walk as close to that line as possible. Because guess what you find out about that line? It's the best line for you. It's the line where you prosper the most. Every other veering off of that line is a lie. And so we walk the line. And we walk the line together. And we lovingly bring one another back in. Sometimes confrontationally, But always bringing them back in. And look how Paul did it. And I'll end with this. Paul said, look at the gospel. He said, Peter, judge your actions by the gospel. Let it influence you. Not some code of conduct, but the gospel influence you. That's why we want to be a gospel centered, a gospel driven, a gospel church that said, let's live our lives in light of the reality of the gospel and walk along that way. That's going to lead to some times where you might have to come to me and say, hey, Bill, help me understand how this action lines up with the gospel. I'll say to you sometimes, help me understand how this action lines up with the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Living in line with the gospel. For that's what Jesus brought to us. And the beauty is this. Some of you are way over there and you're way over there. You've been so far off the line that you've forgotten the line altogether. Here's the beauty of what Christ has given for you. You know what he's given for you? The opportunity to come back. Come back. He invites you back. You're never too lost. You're never too far from that. And this table is the representative of that reality. He came for you. So now, all of us who desire to walk with Christ in that way, we come and we sup and we dine and we celebrate what He's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we do.